Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Welcome once again to Marvelous Monday, and I hope it is a Marvelous Monday and has been a Marvelous Monday for you. Welcome to Blog Talk USA Radio Marvelous Monday. And first, let's begin by saying I'm your host, Dr. Shirley McKellar, and I am playing around with the board tonight. So I hopefully the engineer, my daughter, Miss Rihanna, will come in and help us every now and then again. But let me just begin by saying that I hope each of you had an amazing holiday, Christmas, and now we're on the brink of getting ready for New Year's Day, 2020, a new decade. And boy, did these last 10 years go by quickly. So I want to say Welcome and continue to have great holiday. It has been an amazing holiday for us. Beautiful weather here in East Texas, at Northeast Texas, I should say. Beautiful out there in North Texas where we spent time with the family, had a great time out there. And now we're back on track and getting ready to continue our work. So let's see who we have on with us tonight. Uh, I always am excited to know who is going to join us. We got some calls early on today, so we should have a great show. We're going to find out some more people who are actually running for public office all across the state of Texas. And let me encourage everybody to keep up with what is going on in our community and around the nation because things are happening every single day. So let's see if we have Dr. Nancy Nichols. Dr. Nichols, are you there? Yes, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you quite well. You're coming in loud and clear. Greetings, and uh, I hope you had a great holiday. Did you? Oh, it was fabulous. And you did too with your family? I did. I really did, and I enjoyed it. And But I was green with envy because you were out there in those beautiful springs, and I hope you were able to uh, lose yourself in some hot springs water out there in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, I, that's one of my favorite places. I love to go there. So then let's move on and see who else is on with us. I, I know you're going to have some special guests coming in, but let's see if Mr. Arthur is on on board right now. Mr. Arthur, are you there? He must not be keeping track of time because he, he sent a message to me early on, Dr. Nichols, to find out just exactly what's going to be going on on Marvelous Monday tonight. So, Mr. Arthur, are you there? Well, I guess he's not there yet. So uh, so we'll wait and see who else is going to come on. But do you have a special guest that you're going to bring on with us tonight? Because as we say, it's campaign season and all across the television we're hearing about various people running for public office all around the United States. And so this is really a great thing uh, for people to really get involved in what is going on in their community. Lots of females are coming in. 
So, uh, so we're encouraging everybody who is going to be calling in to press one once they get into the system. And, uh, but then when you're not speaking, you can just go ahead and mute your lines. And then after that, uh, when you're called upon, then you can unmute and come in and get a chance to uh, to speak. Uh, I know that we're going to have Mr. Carlos that's going to come on and join us a little bit later. He just actually sent a message saying he's going to be coming on in just uh, shortly. So, uh, Dr. Nichols, who do you have with us tonight? Um, tonight, Larry Prager will be joining us, and he is a candidate for Justice uh, Supreme Court in Place 6. I am here, hey, if you can hear me. Oh, he's already there. Great, great. <laughs> Welcome to Marvelous Monday. We're we're just excited that you're joining us tonight. So let let's begin by by letting everybody know just exactly who you are, what you're doing uh, right now, what you have done in your career, and why you decided that you wanted to run for this position. And we're so excited that you decided to do that. But just share with us. Uh, a little bit about yourself and what it is that you want us to know and you want those listeners that are around Texas to know uh, about you and your uh, your profession and your career. Go right ahead. Well, who do you want to go first? Yeah, you get to go first. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, okay. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, as you said, uh, my name's Larry Prager, and I'm running for the Texas Supreme Court Place Six. And um, I have a website. It's called LarrySC6.com. And um, I have been a practicing lawyer for over 30 years, and I represent uh, individuals and small businesses. And people ask me all the time, what do I look at? How do I choose someone who's running for the Supreme Court or appellate court? And that's a really good question. And the answer to it is this. Uh, First of all, what a Supreme Court does is it determines whether or not you've had a fair trial. It protects your rights. And What you should look at in any candidate is two things. Number one, does that candidate know about the nuts and bolts of trials, what goes on in the courtroom? And number two, has that candidate had experience representing individuals and listening to them uh, understand the pain and the hardship of going through a legal procedure or proceeding. And uh, I've done that, and um, I have been – I started out in the county attorney's office when I got out of law school. And frankly, uh, um, one of the things that I bring to the table is I'm someone who uh, comes from a family – I'm the first person to get – a college degree or a professional degree. And I had to borrow money and I worked, I worked my way through school. So I know what it's like uh, to be in the middle class and the working class. And I've been in, I don't know if I don't want to give a whole long 
speech here, but I went into the county attorney's office and worked for other people for about six years and worked in the county, tried lawsuits, went to work for a law firm, and then about almost 30 years ago opened up my own practice. I'm board-certified specialist in family law, and I've spent five years on the grievance committee, and I'm a mentor to young lawyers starting their practice. But the most important thing, the most important thing, and also I'm running in the Democratic primary, and I have been a life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's hard to do this over the phone. Okay, no, it's all good. Get used to it. Let me me ask you this. Tell us exactly where place six is, and now you've let us know that you're on the uh, Democratic ticket. But where, what's your location, and where are you practicing, where you live right now? Okay, I live in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, um, place six, you know, the Supreme Court is um, statewide. Correct. and so the court is actually physically located in Austin. And if I'm successful, right. um, I'll move to Austin. But um, both the Texas Supreme Court, which handles civil cases, and the Court of Criminal Appeals, which is your highest criminal court, are located in Austin. Right. Okay. Wait, go ahead. A question. Yes, go right ahead, Dr. Nichols. Larry, I understand that you studied under Judge Barefoot Sanders. Well. (laughs) Really? Is that true? Well, uh, no. Are you appointed by? (laughs) Yes. uh, What, here's, when I opened my own office, um, I did both criminal work and civil work, and I appeared many times in Judge Barefoot Sanders' court. He appointed me to represent defendants uh, on criminal cases. So I don't technically that's not studying under him, but he um, he appointed me to represent people in his court. Thank you. I just uh, think that that's fascinating because Judge Sanders was, is best known for overseeing the lawsuit to desegregate the Dallas ISD. That's right. Yes, let, that that brings up another issue about the Texas Supreme Court. You reminded okay. me this year um, the Texas Supreme Court is going to be. It's very important, but there's a new issue. That's going to come up. It's the redistricting. And Mm -hmm. the federal courts have rejected some of the challenges to the redistricting and have kicked it back to the states. So these issues will work their way up through the state court to the Texas Supreme Court. And right now, um, you know, and that. It, it brings up the issue of in selecting judges, you should look for people who are sensitive to our basic principles 
you know, such as the right to trial, one it used to be one man, one person, one vote, and people who've had a career uh, not afraid to represent an unpopular client or take a stand that goes against the prevailing winds, and and I think that's what Judge Sanders did um, in uh, in his career. He he's a role model. He did what was he thought was right, not what was politically expedient. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very good. Okay. So, what was it that was? Let me ask you this: Do you have an opponent opponent that's running against you on the Democratic ticket? Yes, I do. And um, okay, you don't have to make the name. I just want to find n- out. No, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna. I'll throw something out, and it's uh, uh, this year all of the Texas Supreme Court candidates, there are four places that are up, and all of the Court of Criminal Appeals uh, places except for one have contested primaries. And so that suggests to us – I mean not suggested, it states pretty clearly – that Texas is going to be in play. And interestingly enough, um, your highest courts in Texas are all Republican. And, mm-hmm. um, and in Dallas, it, it's sort of, I think what's going to happen statewide uh, happened in Dallas where it used to be all of your trial courts in Dallas County – um, and in that appellate district were were uh, I'm sorry in Dallas County were Democratic, but all your appellate okay. court justices were Republican. And this last cycle, we made the Democrats won on the appellate courts. So now there's a chance that we can get Democrats on the state Supreme Court because. You have in in our area, you have Democrats on the courts of appeal, but none on the highest courts in the state. That makes sense. Right. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Texas Supreme Court justice. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Right. So, have you you have you served as a judge before on the lower court? Um, I have served as sort of a volunteer associate judge but okay i have and let me throw this out the important thing is i have appeared in my over the course of my career in every level of civil court from the texas supreme court to the courts of appeal to family court juvenile court district court probate court all of the 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 um, civil district courts. So, I, probably more than most candidates can make make that assertion. Right. Okay. Um, then, what was going on? What did you see uh, that made you want to go ahead and run for this seat? It wasn't just because there were no Democrats there, but why? Nope. And, it, you know, in a broader sense, um, uh, you know, you can say that 
a judicial post shouldn't be a partisan post. And I okay. I understand I understand that. But what made me um uh want to run is that I have seen uh judges who are we have elected judges in in Texas obviously but many of the judges who are elected who are sponsored by large law firms don't really have the experience representing everyday individuals working and middle class people and they they um don't appreciate uh, the problems that those citizens have. Um, uh, for example, I'm, without getting into too much detail, uh, unless okay. you've had clients come in, for example, a business client of mine came in and said, you know, I can't uh, lease a forklift or rent an office in a strip center without signing a contract which gives up my right to a trial. I'm forced into arbitration. And unless you've heard things like that in your office, um, mm-hmm. you're not really sensitive to it. And if you look at many of the judges that are elected, and particularly on the federal level, the judges that are appointed by Judge uh, Judge by President Trump, uh, they're being rated as not qualified because they don't have trial and courtroom experience. And so Correct. what I had never run for office until about 10 years ago when Governor Perry appointed a lobbyist who was an administrative lawyer to the 5th District Court of Appeals who had never picked a jury or tried cases. And I thought to myself, my goodness, um, hmm. I have, and my friends who are buddies lawyers, have more experience about what goes on in the courtroom than a lot of these appointees. And what happens, you can see this in your state courts, is that the um, uh, someone will retire before their term is over so the govern- governor can put – uh, an appointee in until the next election, so they have the power of incumbency to in order to raise right. money and that type of thing. So t- to answer your question, um, I felt uh, as I uh, got ha- have gotten older that I was in a position to offer my experience of what goes on in the courtroom for most average citizens uh, uh, to be a, be on the court. Right. I, I want to hear more about your philosophy, but, but I want, but I want to, I want to hear over here and, and take a look at, at a justice of the peace, which they're considered as a judge, right? Yes. Is that okay? So then my question is, because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all of your listening to you talking about your your um, your degrees and your qualifications and all that to hold and run for this seat, which is very obvious. 
But I know that there are justices of the peace who are sit on the bench who are not lawyers, attorneys. Do you feel that that all judges should be attorneys, or just or should be attorneys at a certain level of judgeship? Well, you know, it's really interesting because um, I've known justices of the the peace who. Uh, are not attorneys and who are good. (laughs) And I know some who are attorneys who are not so good. (laughs) And and so, so in the justice of the peace or your municipal courts there, they have jurisdiction for what they call class C misdemeanors, which are um, by fine only. And, but what's important about, and there's, they call it small claims court. And I think the maximum jurisdiction now is $10,000. But what's important about justice of the peace, one of the most uh, powerful functions that they have is that they can sign a warrant to search your home or arrest someone. Mm -hmm. And so very often a justice of the peace is the judge that – the citizen first comes in contact with it. Sure. And so, right. so a lot of times you can have good common sense without being a lawyer and okay. you can understand what probable cause is without necessarily sure. having a law degree. Of course it helps, but I wouldn't as a rule just disqualify someone from being a justice of peace because they're not a lawyer. Okay, okay. That makes sense uh, to me. Okay, so what what are some changes then that you think that you want to make in our judiciary system, and particularly in Texas? And I, I, I've always been really, really involved in our criminal justice system, and I, I see a lot of things. I see a lot of things that I'd like to see uh, change. But I want to hear from you, since I'm not running for judge. I want to hear from you what changes that you see uh, that needs to take place in our justice system, specifically in Texas. There's a there's a lot of things that we could talk about across the nation, United States of America, but but since we're talking about Texas, we're Texans. Let me hear what you what you feel about our Texas judiciary system. Well, you know, no system is perfect, and you know, any in in Texas, the the court the the Supreme Court. Um, the court for which I'm running is the civil courts. So I have some feelings about the criminal court system, but I'm not running for that bench. So that's probably um, not what, what you want to hear. One of the things no, that I, concerns. That's okay. That's okay. I'm, one that's of the okay. things. I'm, go ahead. But, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, I'm, um, One of the things that I've encountered in my practice is um, the fact that we have to raise money to run for office. And if you look at, particularly on the appellate courts, the people who are contributing to the justices who are running 
are very often the people who – the large law firms who frequently appear in front of those courts and businesses and that type of thing. And I think it undercuts the integrity of the judiciary, the fact that the judicial races, you have to raise money statewide. And to give you sure. an example, um, you know, I've had clients actually come into my office and say things such as, well, you know, it's campaign time. Do you think it would help my case if I made a $5,000 contribution, which is wow, the max? And, and so what that says to me is that's the perception of of some of our citizens about the way our system works. And frankly, I think on the federal level, some of the appointees that the president has made suggest that they're appointed for more ideological reasons as opposed to experience managing the courtroom. But to answer your question specifically, um, one of the functions the Supreme Court has is to help make rules of procedure, and I would try to uh, emphasize um, pre-trial hearings to resolve evidentiary questions before juries are impaneled to avoid the delays. If you know people who've been on juries, they'll say, well, we had to wait out in the hall Why the lawyers argued about something for this and that, but what I'm saying is that very often um, the rules are only as good as the judges who apply them. Mm-hmm. And um, when I decided to run for office, I haven't been a career politician. I have made a living practicing law, so I'm not fearful of doing something that's unpopular and Hmm. might cost me an election because you get to a point in your career where you want a judge to do what's right and sort of let the chips fall where they may. That makes sense. And and a lot of times, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on too long here. No, no, no. Well, well, you, you threw out a word that I was going to ask you, and uh, you kind of already told us, and, and that was, I was going to ask you, because I always ask this question for everybody, do you consider yourself a politician? And you already told us that you are not a career politician. So, so then, so let me ask you this question then. If, if, um, I have a lot of questions here, but, but if <laughs> you if do, you, <laughs> My mind is just bang, it's just going Because I'm very interested in this particular system Uh, But let me ask this question first If you you happen to be on the bench And uh, and, uh, and someone, well, no, while you're practicing law Let me say before you get on the bench Before you actually win this seat And and some person came to you and said um, Attorney, I've experienced a lot of injustice within the within this criminal justice system, and so so how do you how do you define how do you see what is your definition of injustice 
in, in our criminal justice system. And, and, and I'm still sticking with Texas because I'm a Texan and I live in Texas right now. How do you define injustice? Well, there's many ways you can define it. And whether or not our laws are applied fairly. In Dallas, mm-hmm. we've had a terrible – well, we've had a situation where people remain in jail because they can't post bond. There and they're, incar- they're incarcerated before they're convicted of anything. And when I started out as a, in the prosecutor's office in Bell County, Texas, that was my first okay. job out of law school. It was a small county, and I went out there because I'd uh, get a lot of experience quickly. And um, those days, they would, you know, people would um, be arrested for things like vagrancy and mm-hmm. and trust, you know, and if they couldn't make bond, and if they had some mental illness problems there was a real right. uh they it was quick to in, incarcerate people and exactly. and it was hard for them to make bail because they were transient or unemployed and you see that in the large cities where you know there's competing considerations you want to protect the public but uh, on the other hand, you don't want to use the setting of bond uh, to punish someone before they're convicted, particularly right. so, on low, low-level, nonviolent offenses. Yeah. And yeah. and okay. it's a does no, that make sense? Like, okay, hold that hold that point. Yes, it, it is. But so then so then now I'm gonna I like everything you're saying. So now. I'm going to put you on the bench. So now, oh, <laughs> how would you? Yeah. So now, how, how that same injustice that we're talking about, how how are you going to handle it if it comes before you on the bench? What would you do as our judge uh, to correct that injustice that we're just finished talking about? In particularly, and, I, and I'm going to share this with you. I live in East Texas, and I, I get a letter probably every other day or so that that people who are in, in jail that have not been through to the court system yet, but they cannot, they cannot afford that bail that you're talking about, or, or they may have some mental illness or, or whatever. I'm medical, so, I, so I'm always geared toward wanting to help somebody that I can see some signs of mental illness. How would you handle that? Then, if you know that there are some people who are in jail, that you could get them out of there and give them an opportunity to um, to, to defend themselves, whether they have to have a court-appointed attorney or not. Just just tell me a little bit about what how you would kind of handle that if you knew that there was that injustice. If that if that well, question makes sense, it does. And as I said, I mean we're talking. What you're speaking of is found more often in the criminal justice system. And okay. as a justice, um, there's 
your overriding concern, you're basically a guardian of the process. And an appellate court, you know, there's no jury, there's no witness box. You review the trials that went on in the trial court to make sure no one's rights were violated. And to answer mm-hmm. your question more specifically, was someone given the right to have a court-appointed lawyer? You know, those are the kinds of questions that come up. Was someone's procedural rights violated by the state and by by a trial judge? And frankly, I, I appeared in court this morning on a writ of habeas corpus involving mm-hmm. a juvenile. Because the state policy, that's another interesting fact is that our juvenile justice system is considered a civil proceeding, but you have all the rights of a criminal defendant because a juvenile can lose his freedom by being committed to the TYC, Texas Youth Commission. Um, So the to answer your question, as an appellate justice, particularly on the civil side, you have juvenile cases which are called quasi-criminal. And so mm-hmm. you would have to see whether or not the constitutional rights of any litigant were not just juveniles, but in the civil courts and in the juvenile justice system have been been violated. An interesting feature of Texas uh, uh, court system is that your trial courts, both civil and criminal, go to your courts of appeal. You have justices of okay. your district courts of appeal, and they hear both right. civil and criminal. And then if you okay. go beyond that to the final level, it branches off. We have basically two Supreme Courts, the Texas Supreme Court, which is civil, and the criminal right. Supreme Court, the name of it's the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, and they they right. just hear criminal. But um, to to answer your question, that's what the appellate courts do is they look and see if uh, an individual's rights have been violated, and they can be they can be violated in not obvious ways but subtler ways like the setting of bail or the denial of a, a trial judge didn't allow witnesses to be called. And right. that could result in, in in denial of that person's rights. So it goes back to what I said initially, that the one of the most important things you can look for in your appellate justices are people who've actually – been in the courtrooms, picked juries, and listened to the effect that it has on people. Those gotcha. are the better judges. Okay, well, well stated. Okay, I, I, I have more. I, I have one of our uh, team members that are on, uh, Mr. Carlos, and then I think Miss Nancy. So, uh, so I'm going to mute out, and, and those that are not speaking, they can mute as well. We're going to bring Mr. Carlos in, and then. Dr. Nancy may have some more questions for you, and I'll, I'll come back because I, yeah, I, I like I'm enjoying 
uh, what you're having to say because it, this is real crucial. I want to come back and I want to talk a little bit about, if that's okay, a little bit about what's going on uh, with us on the nation side so that you can guide us and direct us on explaining some of the things that we see happening with the impeachment uh, trial. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Carlos, are you there? Uh, Attorney Larry Prager yes, ma'am. is can you... on. Yes, he, go ahead. Yes, ma'am, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, so go ahead, and I'm going to mute out. Okay. How you doing, sir? Hi, how are you? Pretty good, sir. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, had a pretty interesting day and uh, blessed to be able to speak to you. Um, I was just sitting here and, you know, uh, listening on everything. And uh, really, I only have, I don't have too many questions. Um, uh, just one. Uh, well, what is it that you are running for? I didn't catch the uh, that part. I'm running for the uh, Texas Supreme Court uh, Play 6. Okay. Okay, um, and I and I kind of heard everything else after that, but I was sitting, uh, one thing that um, I, I don't know if it's it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. Uh, I do wh- how well uh, I'll form it this way: How do we get um, partisan support on both sides to come to a resolution on the local level where? Um, First-time offenders, second-time offenders, I mean, it doesn't really matter where we can't afford bail. I, I know a lot of people that are in jail presently because they couldn't afford the asinine amount that it, that the judge set for the bail. And a lot of people, uh, especially in my neck of the woods, because I'm over here in East Texas as well with uh, Dr. McKellar, they feel that it's all a money ploy. What a solution could you find to that well, or partisan support? What I, what I was saying earlier is that um, your magistrates, your judges, and, and uh, magistrates who set bonds, they have yes, a sir. discretion. They have the discretion. And, and so um, you can look to see if some of these – you know, if you have a very violent criminal and, you know, you set a high bond, but if you don't, yes, sir. Uh, you know, I know people, frankly, who've been on the bench and they think, you know, a $5,000 bond is a low bond. But for someone in our society who's making minimum wage or $10 an hour, yep. that's a, they'll never raise that money. And they they can't even raise the ten or twenty percent it costs to pay a bondsman, mm-hmm. and and um, so to answer your question, it's a policy. Sometimes the district attorneys, uh, it, it's up to the individual magistrate, but informally sometimes there's a sense of what what each offense or what type of bond but it really should be based on the ability the purpose of bond is to ensure somebody returning to court and you know if they don't return to court they forfeit their bond and but depending on each individual case some people used to have what 
you know, they call it PR bond, personal recognizance bond, or very right. low bond. And so, you know, it just depends on in, in the smaller communities where people know everyone, it's, it's, it's easier to get a lower bond. But, you know, again, it's up to the magistrate. And, you know, the people who are in, in authority or well-known should look to see whether magistrates are setting appropriate bonds. And that could be an issue in their in the election. You know, this this judge or this magistrate is setting, you know, very, very high bonds. And that could be an election issue, frankly. Do you so like that question? Do you feel, uh, or I'm sorry, I, I was just curious. No, go ahead. As us as a public, uh, or as a civilian, rather, is this something that we, can, just the general public, can we do to bring awareness uh, or educate the public somehow? Uh, in order to have, you know, proactive action on on us, that way maybe policy can be changed, or how, how can we articulate the the the, um, the public, sir? How, how would you how would you answer that, or how would we go about that? Well, you know, I wish I had all the answers for everything, but um, I guess the the only way to do it is to uh, look and see who's setting high bonds and who's setting reasonable bonds and who's setting low bonds. I know that in some courts in Dallas and Fort Worth area, people come in to observe what goes on and report uh, to their constituents or to the community whether someone is is behaving appropriately as a as a judge, and as as we said, I mean, the setting of a bond is a very important role of a judge. And if that judge is setting unrealistic bonds, that means they're out of touch with their community. And and you know, people who are politically active should make folks aware who's out of touch with the community because, you know, the job of a bond is not punishment. Oh, and let me hold on. Let, let me step in for a second, Mr. Carlos. If you're if you're near the dog or somebody's the background, if you can step away from that because it's uh, it's muffling uh, attorneys. Uh, uh, information. No, no, ma'am. Um, okay. I don't know where where hey, that where hey, I can get ask animal in the. How you doing, Shirley? Oh, that. Oh, fine. How are you doing, Mr. Arthur? Right. Hello. Let, 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 I just want to ask him a question. Yeah. When we get, we get a minute. Okay, just one second, let, before you come in, Mr. Arthur, and then everybody else, can you mute your phone if you're not uh, if you're not speaking? Because I wanted to make sure we have a good, clean um, conversation here, so that if the attorney wants to to go back and hear his podcast, he can hear himself uh, speaking really well. Um, before Mr. Arthur, which is another a team member before he comes in and he's in the Dallas area. Uh, let me ask this one question. Uh, now, are you saying that the, the judges uh, have, they can set, they can set the uh, 
bail at any amount. There is no scale or something that they go by that would say within this range or they just pull a, a, an amount out of the clear blue sky and uh, and attach it as a bail. Is that what you're saying, that they don't have yeah, a guide? They have a, they have a the discretion. And what, what they're doing, what they're supposed to do, is set a bond sufficient to just ensure that a defendant will come back to court. And it's different, you know, if if um, someone who's extremely wealthy uh, and they may be a flight risk, you know, they may leave the country or something, they can set a really high bond because they wouldn't want to lose all that money. But if someone doesn't have very much, a low bond, you know, a couple hundred dollars or less would be sufficient to do the job. So it's not like there's a statute or a rule that says, well, if someone's accused of, you know, felony theft, it has to be X, Y, Z. It, it can be whatever the magistrate determines will get the job done. Okay. Okay. Good. One, one more question, and then I'm going to let the, let the team uh, take over because we're going to talk about election and upcoming time and all of that. But, but in your opinion, okay, you, you said you have you have an opponent, and so so I guess my question would be, what makes a good judge? Because if I have to choose between two people, uh, and 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 I know what your your background is, I don't know what the other person's background is, but but what makes a good judge, in your opinion? Uh, sitting on the bench because I, I like what you just said just then. You said, if, if, of course, if a person is a risk and then they're going to try to set it so that they don't take off and and go to another country or whatever. And they, but 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 let me just share this with you before you answer this question that that all of these people that I was talking to you about a few minutes ago, their bonds are astronomical and the things that they are accused of, uh, not so much. Uh, and I guess that's why I asked the question uh, early on about the injustices and and how you're going to be able to to help that. But but just if just want to tell me what makes a, a good judge, and then we can go we can go on uh, and talk about uh, and let the others uh, ask you some questions because they're they're chomping at the bits to ask you some more questions. But if you can <laughs> kind of give me a little bit on what you think uh, a good judge would be. Simply put, they need to uh, – we're talking about justice, uh, uh, an appellate court justice. That's what I'm okay. – they need to understand what goes on in a courtroom, the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of trial. That's fundamental. Number two, they need to understand the impact on individual citizens. The, listen to someone moan and groan under the weight of litigation. They need to understand that. And number number three, they need to be able to make decisions that are just and right, and may not be political politically popular, but doing the right thing in accordance with our laws and constitution, and be concerned with the fairness of the proceeding, uh, and not be ideological. You know what concerns me is that. People come in and say, well, I'm this or I'm that. What they, they mm-hmm. need to be saying is 
I'm interested in fair play in how the system okay. works and look at a candidate and make sure the candidate has appeared in every level of civil court or for that matter criminal court if they're running for the court of criminal appeals so they're familiar with each step along the way and that's someone who I think should be on the appellate bench and not someone who just is in fear of losing their election and they may have to go to work <laughs> if you know what I if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Arthur, it's all yours. You can ask uh, the attorney a question. Yes. Uh, what's your name? I came in late. What's your name? Uh, Larry Prager. Oh, Larry Prager. Oh, Mr. Prager, how you doing? Uh, and again, well, I'm doing okay. When I was in WA, I'm a recent past president of WACP, and uh, in 2016, the uh, appellate court and the, and the state supreme court came to Paul Quinn College and did a seminar on implicit bias. And we, we stayed there for about six hours. They showed videos. They showed this one video, and I think I told Cheryl about it, where, uh, where they had this stealing the bike scenario, where they had a white guy go steal a bike. Uh, the folks came over and, you know, tried to talk him out of it. Black guy came to, they had the black guy try to steal a bike. They came over and threatened him. <laughs> they came and threatened to put him in jail. <laughs> it almost created a riot. And then they, and then they put a, 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 you know, a pretty white girl, uh, uh, you know, some tight pants, had her go steal a bike. And folks were trying to help her steal a bike. Now they went on and showed some other stuff too, showed some other implicit stuff. So what I want to know is from you, uh, what's your, who, what do you think about implicit bias? How are you going to deal with that? Uh, uh, it, it, because it's, it, it's, all, it's all through the sentencing part. It's all through the bail part, and it's, and it's just implicit. So how are you – what could you do to uh, uh, alleviate that, address that? Because clearly the Supreme Court and the Federal Court, they're conscious of it, and they were letting us know that they were conscious of it. So I want to know – have they have they made any movements toward it? And uh, if you get in that position, well, you know what would you do to uh, counter uh, uh, implicit bias? Well, there has been some progress, not a lot, but there has been some. And one of the ways to to one of the concrete ways that you've seen the progress is now there are rules about challenging jurors if jurors don't um, if they're not minority members or they don't reflect the values of the community and um, and I know this is a real problem because when I first started back in the 80s I got out of law school and I took a job in a county attorney's office and there were people there who told me not to put any African Americans on the jury and I didn't listen to that advice but I know what that's about. And when you work in a prosecutor's office, you see whether the state is recommending, you know, first offense, uh, you know, whatever it is, theft or assault, DWI. And you look at it and you start to notice whether, you know, the, the state has to make a recommendation for a plea or you can go open plea to a judge. And you start looking to see whether or not the recommendations are the same 
if all things are equal but for grace. And, you know, the best thing to do is if you're in the system, you make sure you're aware of these things because there's a lot of, you know, there's overt prejudice or racism, but a lot of it is subtle, and people don't realize they're doing it. And so, well, let me say one of the things. Let me say one of the things that, that, that they say. So they say, look at, look at, it's beyond like it's not just like white people, black people. It's like light people versus dark people. I mean, that's how. Yeah. I mean, that's how deep it is. It's not just black white. It's like light that's, dark. That's correct. And and the question is, you need to um, you need to ask when you're. When you work within the system, you need to make sure and remind yourself that everyone views everything um, uh, through a certain lens. And when you're working in the system, you have to say, you have to evaluate this case on the evidence, not on anything else. And you have to look at when you're selecting a jury and make sure that you don't have preconceived notions about the way someone looks as to how they're going to be uh, as a juror. And your job is to make sure as a judge that no one is excluded for uh, race, gender, uh, religion, Etc. Because, as I said earlier, you have to the best what the best thing or the most important thing your your judicial system can do is have judges whose main goal is to ensure fairness and fairness in our society. You know, we can talk about what that means, but our constitution is sort of the the foundation of what fairness is. What due process is, what's equal access to the court should be, whether someone right to have a jury of his or her peers. That's what you want judges whose main focus is on. So um, I get these questionnaires from various groups, and and they they say, well, what will you do to remain? Would would you meet with members of our our group, and I always say yes. Now we can't discuss pending cases, but we can discuss issues relating to specific communities and groups. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, you're saying that. But the main thing that I want to know is uh, uh, because because we're all aware of it. You know, they're aware of it. Uh, I think that I think that. Uh, you know, I think that police departments, you know, all of America need more training in it, uh, and I think that's why you know, for the judges to recognize it. But for the and like I said, I don't know if you guys can do anything about that. To, I don't know if y'all could encourage police departments to do more uh, uh, training on it. Uh, but that's really what's needed because that's where it actually goes down. At it goes down uh, at the traffic stop, at the different spaces. You know, that's where it actually happens. I mean, that's where it starts at. So absolutely, uh, 
and, and so I'm just hoping and, that so I'm just hoping that uh, you know that maybe maybe the judicial system can uh, in your in relationship with the police departments maybe you all could share some of y'all's concerns with them that might uh, help uh, you know with them be you know, facilitating them getting better training. Well, I think you're right, and I think one of the things, and you know, people have different views on this, but I think. Um, uh, you know the body cam, the video recordings. I think that's a real positive step. And when I started out, just as a side note, and I was in the county attorney's office, I had an opportunity to be the lawyer. I happened to be on duty that day to try the first DWI case using videotaped evidence in Bell County, Texas. And it was really interesting to see videotapes as opposed to what people would come in and recite it. Recite. And, and let me tell you something. Having worked in the criminal justice system, you know, there's good people and bad people. And I, I've had sure. officers come in to my office and say, what do I need? what do I need to say to get a conviction? And I said, no, that's not the question. You tell me wow. what's happened and I'll tell you if you have a case. And so what, what, what we need, um, you know, it's any system is only as good as the people in it. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The training is extremely important. And I know that in Dallas County, um, we have a new DA, and and they're trying to get more uh, uh, neighborhood-based ba- policing and that type of thing so people are sensitive to the different communities. It's not just black and white. We have Vietnamese and Laotian and everything. Right. And and so you're right. It's a, It's a training issue, but you need to have judges there who can look at a case and 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 see if things look a little funny about it and you know right we all should be we we all should be um you know with the with the new DNA evidence that should be a real wake up call to about how difficult eyewitness testimony is and and and, and so it it makes you think that you know perhaps we we need better training and experience before mm. so that these these injustices won't occur again excellent i'm good yeah uh, dr nancy has to get off so she wants to ask you a question uh, before she gets off go ahead dr nancy thank you i do want to ask a question i'd like to ask about the landmark case that uh, you were involved with, uh, Black versus Dallas County Child Welfare Unit. Can you talk? Tell us about that, please. Well, many years ago, um, to make a long story short, um, I represented a man. Actually, it was a family. He was falsely accused of child abuse. And um, and because 
child abuse is such a political hot potato. No one's for child abuse. But this was clearly a case where um, an allegation was made against uh, my client. And frankly, I think there was a little bit of targeting of him because he was in a seminary and it it just – he was a prime target for some reason. And we had a uh, um, presented the case to one judge who said, no, I'm not going to let the state hold these kids. The district attorney at that point went to another judge and didn't tell the first judge that um, – that I mean, didn't tell the second judge. The first judge had rejected it, and so the, they wouldn't return the children. And it became a sort of a cause celeb. But what it did, in essence, if there was complete immunity against the wrongful taking of children by the state, and what we did is we found a statute that had never been applied against child protective services. And that statute said um, that if a judge determines that the state's cause of action had either been frivolous, unreasonable, or without foundation, uh, an aggrieved citizen was entitled to recoup their attorney's fees and expenses. And no one had ever applied that against the the department, the Child Protective Services. And so what happened was we uh, we presented what happened in this case to a different judge who who was actually a very conservative judge, and he found that it qualified under the statute. They impaneled a jury. A jury awarded my clients all the fees and expenses they had to pay to get their kids back. The state of Texas appealed to the Court of Appeals. That was the 5th District Court of Appeals in Dallas County, but it's the 5th District is a multi-county area. That Court of Appeals reversed the trial court and the jury's decision and said we take nothing. We then appealed that case to the Supreme Court, which reversed the Court of Appeals and reinstated the jury's verdict. And so it's interesting that you mention that case because, frankly, um, when you have a system where there's complete immunity, it sort of encourages sloppy work. In other words, if they know there's no repercussions, and I'll be quite candid is with you, a lot of people who are taught, who are caught in child welfare system are your very poor and minority communities. And right. But but for but for uh, our frankly lawyering, and we did it. As more of a cause, we weren't getting paid along the way um, because it needed to be done. It allowed people now to recover if a judge says that the state had acted frivolously, unreasonably, or without foundation. 
prior to that, you could not, you know, if the ki- if the state came in and took your kids and violated your rights and kept them for a month, there's nothing you can do. It's just too bad. Right. And now it's a little bit different. That's that's right. That you makes- sound like a judge. Let, let me ask you this, Judge. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, um, Texas, Texas is a gigantic state, right? We got 254 counties in Texas. I, as I mentioned, as Mr. Carlos mentioned, we live in East Texas, and we are, we're always overlooked, in my opinion. Uh, people don't spend a lot of time. Uh, most candidates, we don't hardly see them come into East Texas. But how do you plan to get about all of this big, wide open space that we have in Texas, uh, a country of its own, as they call us, uh, in some places in America. But uh, but how do you plan to do that? And um, especially, I, I'm sure that you probably work a full time job. Uh, so uh, so how do you plan to get? And we don't want you to forget about us here in in East Texas, and that's why we have you on our show because because we want to make sure that people here in East Texas hears of hears from all of the candidates that are running uh, for public office because information is so important and how can we know when we get to that uh, election booth uh, who we're supposed to uh, punch that button for if we don't hear from uh, from these candidates so well, let, me, your let me answer let me let me uh, let me let me talk about that there are 15 okay. There are 15 million voters in Texas, and do you know what it would cost for me to send everyone a postcard? <laughs> and oh, sorry. so we don't even want. So they don't throw it in the past anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, the, and the people who run these campaigns professionally say that you need to send them at least three before it penetrates their consciousness. And uh, <laughs> but. To, but to answer your question, um, you here's what we have to do, and I'm I'm not trying to be funny about it, but um, no. the reality of the situation is we try to target groups, and I hate to use this word, but it's the the word my kids use now, the influencers. And mm-hmm. I was down in Burleson Burleson County. Because I was, I had to get signatures from all over the state, and there were right. about thirty people. There were about thirty people at the meeting, but every one of those thirty um, were people who were of influence in their community. And people, for example, in 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 any county, you know, you have the county party, and then you have your precinct chairs. And you go to mm-hmm. you try to target the county party executive committee meeting, and and so we can address all the precinct chairs. But in a statewide race, and uh, you know, frankly, I one of the reasons I'm in this race is I just don't want to give it to the big money guys from the big law firms who've never handled a divorce case or a common law marriage case or a contract case, they talk about being in the litigation department. They may be litigating a intellectual property or construction, but they don't hear citizens. So I'm doing this counting on, 
you know, folks who are who are interested and who'll get the word out. And we're going around to the newspapers and we're going around. I was out in Raines County this weekend. I've been to Lubbock. I've been to Tyler. I was at I guess it's Smith County. Um, yeah, that's I've it. been. I've been to El Paso and Midland and Lubbock and where else? I've been to Brazoria County and mm-hmm. um, Houston, Montgomery County, Orange. And each of those meetings have been people who were leaders in their, you know, unions or churches or whatever. But you're right. You know, people get upset, you know. You haven't come here or come there, and you know I'm going to lead mm-hmm. up to a plea for money pretty soon here. But I'm, exactly. I'm actually, yeah. But the, that's <laughs> the point: is that you know we're trying to do a little bit online, and and uh, right. But really, that's the dilemma of running statewide for a judicial yeah. race, because frankly, most sure. of the people who give are the big donors who, you know, you know, they think, well, I want to curry favor. You know, I yeah. represent, I represent a lot of psychologists in my practice. And one okay. of them said something that was really interesting. Uh, she said to me, you know, Larry, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, we tend to favor those we like or people who have given us gifts. <laughs> and I've kept that in mind. I've kept that in mind because, like I said, the, I think the integrity of the system is sort of undercut by by the contributions coming generally from lawyers who appear in those courts. I, I agree with you 100%. And I'm sorry, I, I actually missed you. When you came to Tyler, uh, Smith County, I wasn't, I hadn't gotten maybe uh, Dr. Nancy on me that you were coming. Um, and I'm sorry I missed you. I, I, I wasn't at your event when you came to Tyler. Well, that that's okay. I mean, there's so many candidates. Now, I'm going to be out in Howard County um, mm-hmm. on January 8th, and now I'm going to be down in Austin for, they have a series of, Interviews of candidates, you know, the AFL CIO and and, uh, and the uh, Tejano Democrats and and um, um, uh, Stonewall Democrats and uh, various groups down there. So let me ask you this: so, and this may not be important to you. Have you have you speaking of all those people? Have you received any endorsements? And, and is that important to you to? Or are you just want to it, be endorsed at the voting booth by all the citizens? <laughs> well, it, you know, obviously, what matters most is the citizens. Um, the endorsement process is ongoing. Uh, most of the organizations haven't. Um, the Garland Democratic Voice endorsed me, um, but the, there's other candidate. There's, I'm sorry. There's all the endorsement interviews are like in January. So none okay. of them have come out yet. You know, maybe some college groups have come out, but um, the the um, I've I'm talking to 
all of the groups and hope to get their endorsement. You know, like I said, the sure. AFL, AFL, CIO, the unions, and um, right. Uh, right. Tano, Stonewall, and all those are coming up. I'm going down to Houston on the 13th to meet with some women lawyers association. And but okay. to answer answer your question, Garland is out for me. Uh, Democratic <laughs> Voice, and uh, yeah. that's it was, the first one. But then. They're not coming out um, until probably the end of January, middle of February. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. Any more questions from you, Mr. Arthur? Right. Mr. Carlos? No, I think you pretty much answered, I think you pretty much answered all my questions. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that, uh, I hope that uh, once you get on the bench, you have some influence and become an yeah. influencer in some of the other areas. Yeah. Answered all my questions, uh, Dr. McCullough, especially okay. about okay. Uh, bond. That that's a that's yeah. a really big thing right there. Yeah. You know, it's yes, it's, it it's uh, you know, I to be honest with you, I mean, I've I phased out my criminal practice several years ago, but okay. I'm I'm still involved in this as a sort of a political issue because it's a huge problem in the major metropolitan areas as well. Yeah. Yeah, in Tyler, Texas is a problem, uh, but uh, I think it, I think it's a, it's just a nationwide problem that that we have. We we hear issues every every single day. We really do. Uh, so, um, let, tell us about your is your website ready? And um, yeah, uh, give I'm us sorry. all of that. How we, yeah, everything of how we can find you. Okay, um, it's Larry, L-A-R-R-Y, and it's S-C-6, and it's a number six, sc6.com. That's my political website. Okay. And um, Good. And it's been up for a while, and there's a link on it to my law practice website, so if you want to see that. Um, okay. I've had my own office. Since 1988, and Very good. Um, and uh, you know, I've got. Let me tell you something. Um, I'm gonna. This is not so much political, but I came to Texas um, with really no money and had an opportunity to work and go to law school at South Texas College of Law, and okay. I graduated. I graduated from there went to work in the county attorney's office in Bell County. And I've got I got married, and I have two kids in college. One of them went for 2 years to Stephen F Austin. Okay. And another one who's at the University of Texas in Austin. And okay. um you know it's it's a good I've I've had a good opportunity and I've seen my kids educated and, and well, they're still in college, but I'm at a position where I, I feel like I can take my experience and apply it without being so compelled to look and see how the political winds are blowing. Because, uh, sure. I mean, I'm not that, I'm not that old. The term on the Supreme Court is for six years. 
your appellate oh. justices, sir, for six years. Okay. okay. And um, yeah, and so so um, you can read about it, and it's 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 like LarrySC6.com, and um, like I said, sometimes the Supreme Court, you know, we've got Trump and we've got a Senate race. And you know it's probably the least sexy race on the ballot, <laughs> but <laughs> it's probably it's one of the most important, you know, on those voting rights issues, on fairness of civil trials for the Supreme Court. Sure. It's really important. And so, if you look at the background and experience of people, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I'd want someone on the court who's represented someone like me. And um, you know, I, I have I've had to work for a living. I mean, I, you know, I went through law school. My parents helped me a little bit, but you know, I think seventy five percent of the people had it better off. But God knows how that twenty five percent who had it worse off than I did did it. You know. Wow. So you need to get you need to get people on the bench who number one understand that twenty five percent. You know, they sure. may not. And I think the higher up you go, the less likely you are to understand that 25%, sure. if you know what I sure, mean. Sure. I, I, so, where, where, did you move, where did you move to Texas from originally? Well, <laughs> it's kind of a long story, but the long, um, I grew up in central South Carolina. I went to, uh, college, in Mass, went to college in Massachusetts, and then I moved wow. down to Texas. And I I moved down to Texas because I had no money, and I could go to South Texas and work. And at that time, tuition was thirty dollars a semester hour there. Wow! <laughs> and by the I, four years later, when I graduated, it was up to ninety five a semester hour, and I was okay. uh, I was outraged about that. But I realize now what a bargain it was. But so you're really that's what, right now. Yeah, say no, that again? No, I'm, I'm saying you're really outraged now what it is right now. Yeah, and and frankly, you know, this isn't a a uh, judicial issue, but since we're just talking politics, you know, the economic issue and the health care issue um, – are huge issues I see in, with my clients, and you sure. know I know what it takes for me to put a kid through college, and um, that's right. And and I, I know what it took for me to get through, and I sure. had probably more help than a lot, but not as much as a lot do. So the economic issue permeates everything. It permeates permeates our criminal justice system and our civil justice system. I'm down at the courthouse every day where I see people involved in civil lawsuits that can't afford lawyers. And you, you look at your courts and you see how many people are what they call pro se representing themselves. Exactly. And, uh, that that's a huge problem too. Oh you know, I'm glad you brought that up. So just a little bit about that. I'm looking, but but let me say this: I'm looking at your Facebook page, and I see Judge Stacy Williams 
sitting right in front of you, and it looks like you guys were in, I can't tell, maybe Garland or somewhere you were at a, at one of your events, but uh, she's a friend of this uh, of this radio station as well. But but let's let's cover a little bit about pro se litigation. Uh, you said that I think I heard you say that that's a problem too. Yes. You were okay. Tell us why that's a, a problem. We we have someone here in this town that swears by pro se litigation, uh, and. Uh, so I want to hear what, what an attorney has to say about pro se litigation. Go ahead. Well, obviously, if if um, if you're an attorney, you know how to present a lawsuit. <laughs> That's what you do. And some cases are very technical because that's the way the law is written, and you need the assistance of an attorney to – to guide you through the process, and that, that's what an attorney does. I mean, we prepare a case, we present it, and we know what the legal issues are, and we know what evidence is, and 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 a lot of times someone is sued, and they can't afford to hire a lawyer to defend themselves. And if you don't have an, a lawyer, a lawyer sometimes. Um, you get taken advantage of because you don't know the law, you don't know how to get things into evidence, and um, and he, your case may be meritorious, but because of the way it was presented, you may not win. And so it's like anything else. I mean, um, uh, you go to a doctor because they're familiar with you know diseases; they can diagnose a problem, tell you how to cure it. Same thing with a lawyer. I mean, I'd rather go to a doctor than just look something up on the internet and see if I try my own luck. And so, and but in some cases, you you know, uh, and I I'm hard pressed to remember which uh, to give you a good example where you wouldn't need a lawyer. I mean, I'm I just you know I tell people all the time. They come in to see me. I said, whether you hire me or someone else, just don't do it yourself because you may make a procedural mistake that harms you. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And see, there's a there, there's go ahead. Um, there's a lot of um, anti-lawyer sentiment, and I can, frankly, I can understand it sometimes. I've dealt with uh-huh. lawyers that that you know I think uh, are not helpful. But well, wait, for the let, most, let, let me ask you a question about pro se. Let me ask you a pro se question. Okay. What what do you say to people? What do you say to people that have that have a that have a great case, but it's not enough money in it for an attorney to deal with it, or or the attorney's not rich enough to deal with it. What do you tell people that's in, in a position like that? Got a good case. Not enough for nobody to make a lot of money off of it, but I'm right. So what do I do? Well, I wish I had all the answers for everything. But um, <laughs> you see, what will happen is that, um, you know, they've tried to address this. Like we used to have in our workers' compensation law, the 
you know, there used to be sort of built-in attorney's fees and that type of thing, but they changed the law to essentially cut out a lot of the attorney's work on it. And so the way our law's written, people were trying to get, you know, loser pays. Actually, you know, it's really interesting. Depending on the type of case, sometimes a a judge can award attorney's fees against the losing party. And I know that in family law cases, I'm board certified in family law, court has a discretion to award attorney's fees, one side pay the other. But I know what you're talking about. If you have a smaller case, if it's under $10,000, those are cases that you can handle at the you know, justice of the peace court or municipal court. It's more of the right. more of the people's court, and in those cases, um, some you know, depending on what the, the specific facts are, you might be able to get by without an attorney. But unfortunately, you know, being an attorney, you know, when you prepare a case, sometimes it takes you the same number of hours and time to do it, whether the the Amount involved is a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. You know, it just so happens mm-hmm. that the property involved is much. You know, the the value of the property doesn't determine how many how much time you have to spend on your case. And right. and so, so you know, I wish I wish everyone could you know. Be, in injury cases, they're contingent fee, so a lot of times the lawyers take those, and it doesn't cause there's no win, no fee. So, uh, you know, I was just down on in court. I was appointed to represent a child in a injury case where it was a small injury, but everyone had a lawyer, and the the plaintiffs couldn't afford to hire a lawyer, but it was a, it was done on contingency right mm-hmm. so let me ask you hey, hey, hey. Okay. go ahead go ahead Mr. Arthur. he may have already discussed it but what about the uh what about that whole court appointed system now that's that's just the biggest that's just the biggest <laughs> slam bang crooked situation no, i've seen in my life we have what would you do about that is there anything you do about that well, Mr. Arthur, let me throw this in here. I believe that the court-appointed attorneys or the regular attorneys, are they not, that are asked to do at least one case per year. Isn't that right, Mr. Arthur? I, I'm sorry, Attorney Prager, is that correct? Isn't that the way it's, it's set up, that you guys actually well, do? You become the court-appointed attorneys? Well, yeah. Kind of, sort of. I'm going to give you that. I'll give you some lawyer talk here. The answer is going to be yes and no, because in theory, um, the courts have the ability – or not in theory, but in actuality, the courts have the ability to appoint attorneys in certain circumstances. Now, some judges – and this is why selection of judges is important. Some judges will spread out those appointments to all different people. And the appointed lawyer will uh, doesn't depend on that judge for 
a lot of business, and they'll get one every now and then and come in and say what they think. But in some courts, you have judges who appoint one or two attorneys who make just a tremendous amount of money, and that's all they do is court appointments out of particular courts. And there, there okay. was a problem with that. There was a problem with that for a while, and I think they've changed the rules about doing that. And, and it may be um, in your counties it's a little bit different, but I know what you're alluding to is that sometimes – and I've been in ca- – I've been as in where – As NAACP, I get, I get calls I – get, I get a lot of calls about these uh, court-appointed attorneys. First of all, most of them seem to be rude. And then on top of it, folks can't catch up with them. Uh, and then they, and then their thing, they, they were trying to talk folks into pleading the stuff they didn't do. And I think that's why we got so many folks in jail that ain't supposed to be there. And, and what I'm telling folks is this: Look, if you if you're innocent, you need to ask for a jury trial. If everybody asked for a jury trial, uh, their trial wouldn't probably wouldn't come up for about ten years. You know what I mean? So uh, you know, I'm telling people, hey, look, uh, you know. They just ask for a jury trial. You know, it's, it's your case. And what I try to do when I what I try to do, of course, not with the legal stuff, because NWC we don't do legal, we don't give legal advice. But on a basic level, what I try to do with people is to is to help them gather the gather as many facts as they can for their own case. And because I tell them it improves their chance of getting an attorney. If he doesn't have to go around and dig up all this stuff, you already got it there. Then you'll have a better chance of getting an attorney. Whereas if you just if you don't you ain't got, if you don't do that and you don't have any money, then you know you're just gonna be in a, you know you know at the you know mercy of the court. But I'm back. You tell people if you didn't do it, don't plead to it. <laughs> you know it's 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 true, and you know the great equalizer in our society is the right to have a jury. And mm-hmm. I was I was talking a little bit earlier. On this thing, and you know, I can go on forever about this, but um, that case you asked me about that I took up to the Supreme Court, and right. without any without any false modesty, I've seen too many cases where people have had a case put on them because they didn't know how to fight it, they didn't have aggressive lawyers, and mm-hmm. and God knows. They've lost their children or lost their freedom for something that that they didn't do, and right. and and really the last resort of of any citizen is the jury, and um, well I shouldn't say the last resort, but um, uh, you know they shouldn't plead if they're not guilty, and they they you know. And, and they, and you know, but these court appointed attorneys are telling them if you don't plead, you're gonna get a hundred right. years. There you go. I mean, you, really, my you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we I mean, that's what I'm talking about. What are we gonna, what are we gonna do about well, see, that? I mean, what can we do about well, that? And, and the, well, it's really, attorney, it's, go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's really interesting because uh, in in our system, our trials are are bifurcated. Bifurcated. In other words, you can go to a judge to determine whether or not you're guilty or not guilty. 
and you can go to a jury for sentencing. Or you can go right. to a jury, you can go for a jury to determine guilt, and then you can go to the judge for sentencing. So, you know, depending who on your jury. Who, 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 make, who, who def- makes that decision? The defendant. The defendant, okay. See, most yeah. of them don't know that. <laughs> they don't know that. Well, <laughs> they don't know. well the, attorney, isn't yeah. the, is the attorney supposed to ask them which one do they want, or you suggest? Which well, well what, what happens what happens is that when you go before the judge to do a plea, they, they're mm-hmm. supposed to, and I, I'm sure they do, they admonish you. Do you understand you're giving up your right to trial before a judge or a jury and blah, 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 blah. Sure. Now, I don't right. know if their attorneys are explaining that to them, but that's their job. That's after they didn't, <laughs> yeah, see, but that's after, yeah, see, but that's after they've already talked them into pleading guilty for something they didn't do. That's after the fact. They already, well, you know. Attorney, attorney, let me just tell you that we we know some people, African Americans, that have gotten two hundred and twenty-five and two hundred and fifty years. People don't even live that long. I mean, to me, that just makes no sense. It sounds like this person was Al Capone or somebody that took the life of. A, president or so i mean people don't live for 225 and 50 years why would anybody even put that kind of sentence on someone like that well, uh, yeah i mean it's uh, i don't yeah i don't know i mean like <laughs> I you said uh, <laughs> like i said i mean i i uh i phased out my criminal practice about 10 years right. ago and i went exclusively Civil because of problems like this, and right. and and I, I don't mean to sound defeatist about it, but um, you know my and a lot of it was sort of market driven in terms mm-hmm. of um, my one area of my practice really developed, but the, uh, the you know the that's why I'm saying it in a y'all are in in Tyler. Mm-hmm. I am. Uh, Miss Arthur is in Dallas, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know that. But mm-hmm. you see, your county court and your district court judges, see, in Dallas, um, we have special criminal district courts and civil district courts. In the smaller counties, your district judge will handle both civil and criminal and juvenile. Yeah. But that's yeah. why these judicial races are so important and yeah. and and because the the first contact people have it's like i said the the justice of the peace is the magistrate who signs right. a paper that gives the police authority to search your home or arrest someone right. and so those judges are really important just like the judges and here, there's one other court in Dallas we have, too, that I found that I found that I, I had to go to NAACP uh, convention to find out that they have veteran courts for veterans, you, you know. Oh, also. absolutely. 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 And, 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 and another question I got, another question I asked, are, are veterans automatically being referred to those courts like they should be, or are they just, or they have to be aware of it to get into those courts? Because most veterans don't even know about it, I'm sure. I mean, well, I, I well, know well about some, it. I, some, veterans, 
Well, some of them cannot, some of them don't even qualify to be a part of the veterans court. Every single veteran cannot go to that court. And, well, I'll let, okay. I'll let the attorney think about, <laughs> about it. Uh, well, like but I said, I, I, work, I work closely with the veterans court. Okay, great, great, great. I mean, I'm trying to get some information out there. Well, I'm not like like I like I'm saying, you know, I'm not doing the criminal work. Like I did. I, so that that just that just that. I'm sorry. I'm saying. Okay, I'm listening. I'm on a cell phone, so it's a little bit. Uh, Scratchy That's here, okay. But... You're doing you're doing great. You're answering all these good questions. Let, let me. Uh, you, uh, you're Lawrence, right? Uh, What's that? Uh, I hear music you're, now. You're, I, yeah, I hear music too. I yeah, I hear some kind of guitar. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. <laughs> Maybe they don't want us to talk about this veterans court. Interesting. Sounds Mr. like Island. a Spanish guitar. Yeah, yeah, he's a little, he's, he's Espanol. You're so funny. <laughs> wow. Um, can y'all hear? Can y'all hear? Yeah, oh, we can hear very well. We can hear very well. Let's, let's try to find out something. You know what's going on. Let me send her a Wow. Oh well, that's that's interesting. We Maybe never somebody, had that. Somebody got you. There it goes. Wow. Ain't nobody gonna confess well, either. <laughs> that was interesting. No, I was I was trying to find out, attorney, if you're Larry. I mean, if you're Lawrence, yeah. your first name is Lawrence. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. my. My my first name's Lawrence, but everyone calls me Larry. Larry, I got it. Okay, okay, that's good. I, I will, I will appear on the ballot as Larry Prager. Oh, will you really? Larry Prager. Okay. All right, Larry Craver. No, Prager. P R A E G E R. Oh, 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 Craiger, Craiger. Okay. No, Prager yeah. with the P. Oh, Prager, Prager, okay, Prager, Prager, Pure, okay, Prager. Go ahead and, and, run, P, and give folks. us, right, with a P, that's right. Give us your, I know you're on social media, and so you can give, and you're on Twitter as well. I, yeah, we just started that, and uh, uh, and I, I think Tell it's every Larry. Way, for, every, okay, every way that we can find you. Uh, tell us, uh, yeah. and you can put you can put a, a push in for your donations because we know you. Listen, let me let me share this with you. I ran for United States Congress, and I covered 14 counties, and I know how expensive it is to run a campaign. But I, but but we talked a little bit about this, but but I I was pushing. I think that we need to take all of this money out of. Out of campaigns, and I think that's what I heard from you. Uh, when I, I'm, I'm a uh, Mr. Arthur and I are both veterans, and we're war veterans. And so, so I was stationed overseas during the war in Iraq, and um, and and I found out uh, how people ran campaigns overseas, and that uh, they the public 
uh, pays for campaigns and not people. Well, well, in essence, it is the people because it's tax money. And so they earmark X amount of dollars for you to run a campaign. And then after that campaign, uh, I mean, after that money is gone, then you're on your own. You can't raise any money from people. You can't ask for any money. They earmark the amount of money. Say, for instance, if you're running for Congress uh, in Europe, they, they give you $250,000 to run that seat. And after that, and you can spend it however your campaign manager or however you decide that you want to spend that resource. And after that, it, no more money. And so that way, people have a, even and an equal playing field. And I'm mm-hmm. really for that because it's just because people are buying elections. Uh, at least they're trying, well, attempting to buy. They have so much money. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I wish there was a perfect solution. You know, in the smaller counties, it used to be, you know, like I said, I started in Bell County. There were a couple of three judges, and, you know, you go to the Lions Club breakfast, and and the weekly paper does an article on you, and, you know, you yep. make the rounds, and that was it. And now yep. it's cons- consultants and direct yep. mail and <laughs> robocalls, and, I mean, it's just crazy. Yep. And it and is. like I said, it it the citizens are so cynical about the judiciary because they see people out there asking for money and it just, it looks, it, it's bad. And so, Larry, you know what I yes, think sir. it kind of is though? It, 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 it's kind of actually, <laughs> it says black people, uh, you know, we've observed this uh, uh, justice system from the other side forever, right? And so now what what has happened is now white people are beginning to get be treated like we're being treated in the system. And they can't understand what that is. It's like, wow, like what is this? And like as black folks, you know, we wake up every day and know what it is. And so uh, I thought that more white people become aware of the injustice in the system and how it actually operates, that they'll demand some changes. Because you know, you know, you know, this system came out of came out of Jim Crow, and you know, kangaroo courts, the whole thing. So you know, some of those tenants are still there, and I think that court appointed system is part of it. That's just another control technique to fill penitentiary. Well, so I'm just saying, well, you know, I hope that 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 court appointed system that's a problem, and you know. That shows you how powerful those judges are, and that's a good question to ask judges. How how many different people do you appoint? Is there any lawyer that you've given more than ten appointments this year to? You know, that's the kind of questions that that you know you all can ask because I think you know. And again, like I said, I'm a little bit out of the criminal system for a while, but I know exactly what you're talking about because there were some articles here about certain lawyers who made, you know, half a million dollars off of court appointments one year. And right. and and they're not and appointed you to the penitentiary. Yeah, and so so you know, when you go to a political forum and did you appoint attorneys and you know, how many different attorneys do you appoint? What's the most 
number of appointments you've given to one attorney in a 12-month period. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, kind of, that's the kind of thing you, you sort of answer. And, and you know, I, I'm for transparency and, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it, I, I get your point because I was down at the courthouse today and, you know, there's a bunch of lawyers getting these court appointments and a lot of them will, you know, some of them depend on those court appointments and, you know, if they're too dependent on those, you wonder, are they going to do anything other than what the judge, what they think the judge wants to do? And not, are those lazy lawyers, look at, are, are those lazy lawyers or are they just bad lawyers? I mean, I'm, I mean, what are they? Or, or are they, or are they just vested into this system uh, of injustice that we've been talking, that we've been looking at? Are they just get going, just get vested in it, and what just what just start making money? Is that how it works? I, I, you know, everyone's different. I mean, when I opened up my office, I had six years experience, and I went down and I got court appointments, and I got some to get started, but I didn't depend on those to the you know i didn't depend on one judge to give me all this work and i had to think well am i going to make the judge mad no uh, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong in itself in getting a court appointment but you have to start wondering if they're funneled to one or two three people who seem to never try any cases just plead everyone out because right. um you weren't on the phone earlier, but I mean, I've worked in the criminal justice system. I did it for get experience for three years, and I was in the prosecutor's office, and then then I did criminal defense. And I know you get a case put on. I mean, I know that. And, sure. And so, and so, um, you know, you're only the system has its flaws. But you have to look at yourself, I mean, as a prosecutor or as a defense attorney, and make sure that that you're doing the right thing and not the what you think the judge wants or your boss wants. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, frankly, um, and there's no the supervision reasons, over that relationship. If you, you ever look, there's no supervision over that relationship that you just described. There's no right. supervision over that relationship. See, and it, I'm going to give you a little campaign talk here. When I started out in uh, in as a prosecutor, and I, I did misdemeanors, and I had to do these conservatorship cases for the state, and the child protective services came to me, and they, I'd have to go across to district court, and there was a judge there, and I was putting on these cases. The judge was mad at me because they were bad cases. And I and I went in and I said to the judge, I said, "Can I talk to you privately?" Because he was frustrated with me. And he said, "Yes, sir, you can." I went in and I said, "Well, judge, let me tell you something. My law license is about six months old." <laughs> and I said, mm-hmm. "I get all these cases, and I've read these cases, and frankly, I think a lot of them are not worth a toot." And I told that to I told that to the child protective services folks, and 
Let me tell you what they did. They went to my boss, and they said, I'm denying them the access to the court. And I said, well, you know, my job is to use some discretion and evaluate the case and give an opinion. And the judge looked at me and says, well, I understand your dilemma, Mr. Prager. He mm. says, you just – he says, you just nod to me when you think you've got one of these bad cases. You see, you don't have the your boss hadn't given you the authority to dismiss them. And so right. I realized at that, that I realized at that moment how the how the process works. And so after three years of getting my feet wet in in trying cases, um, you know, I, I took the view at I'd rather see an in, a, 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 a guilty person go free because I made yep. a mistake as a young lawyer than an innocent person yep. taking an appointment, get convicted because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Excuse me. Yeah, I, 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 I think they I think they say we'd rather have 99 <laughs> innocent – I mean 99 guilty go free than an innocent person to be convicted. Isn't that the way it goes? Well, that's the way it should be, but now, now <laughs> I don't know if that's the truth anymore. But yeah, I understand I what you're saying. That's the Not pressure either. of being in with, within the system. That's what you're talking about. And, right. and so, this is me again. This is me again. Ninety-nine, ninety-nine. You have to get that. Innocent, innocent. Yeah, going yeah, to prison. Yeah, ninety-nine. Yeah, yeah, you get that ninety-nine. Yeah, for that one innocent. Well, anyway, yeah. Anyway, I, system, I, I don't need people. You know, we the people. That's right. Yeah. And so, one of the great opportunities that I've had, and I haven't, I'll be candid with you, man, I haven't gotten rich and I haven't gone broke, but, you know, I've done okay. And, but the, the, the ability to be my own boss, and frankly, yeah. I didn't realize, I, I ran 10 years ago for the Court of Appeals. And I'd been self-employed for 20 years, and one of the downsides of it is I realized I wasn't filtering what I say that much. Yeah. And it's yeah. and and you are who you are, and you know I've I've sure. been real frank with with you all tonight, and I think we've probably talked yeah. a little bit longer than I ex- expected, but it's been really <laughs> interesting. But <laughs> because um, you know whether you vote for me or not vote for me, you know, I'll I'll call it as I see it and I'll tell you what I think. I don't go to one community and say one thing and go to another and say another thing. And you and, and you and you see too many people like that. And you know, I'd rather I'd rather not be elected if I had to do that to get it. And that's good. I, I I like what you say, uh, and 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 what we want to see happen in our community. We just want to see uh, investments to make a better world for everybody. I, equality for all mankind. That's why I ran for Congress. Well, I I actually decided to run for Congress because I saw so many things happening to veterans that was disturbing uh, for me, and to include uh, uh, mental ill. Uh, veterans being thrown in jail, incarcerated when they really needed to, uh, to for someone to help them with their PTSD, 
you know, uh, that's I took care of patients with PTSD, so I know, uh, I know how that that uh, whole, whole piece of well, ball game let, has. Go ahead. I, I think you're right, and you know, on a closing note here, you know, this may not be about the judiciary, but I think it in, impacts it. You know, I hear these people talking about a two-tier economy. Um, okay. And I've seen that. I've seen that in my my practice because I represent people who are primarily middle class. And over the okay. last ten years or so, from you know the 2008 crash, um, I've seen a lot of the middle class people. I've seen maybe 20, 25 percent move up. But the bottom 80%, 75%, I've seen sort of push down. And, you know, unless we have uh, a solid middle class or the ability of people to enter the middle class, we'll, we'll continue to have these social problems. And it affects everything, the ability, the ability to get health care, the ability to get the PTSD yeah. treatment, yeah. the ability to hire yeah. lawyers to defend your rights. It's all economic driven. Just like those court appointed lawyers who plead everybody out. You know, their their goal, you know, they need the money, you know. And so mm-hmm. the the that to me is is what I see in my office. I mean, I don't keep statistics on it, but that's my impression from what I see my client struggles. Uh, and so many of them, uh, so many of their problems could be fixed with, with a, a more middle-class lifestyle. You know, you see people what you talking about? Two- when you're talking about Pardon economic me? inequality, so you're talking about economic yes, inequality, yes. 1%, yeah. all the money that went to the top, uh, even the tax cut that they just got, that, that he just gave, they just showed it. Uh, most of those folks didn't even pay any tax. They got, they just took their money and just, just bought their stock back. Just, just, I mean, just ridiculous. And, and basically, and, I, and, I, and what I'm just saying to you is, Judge, and I, and I think... And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a judge yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I'm saying is that... Uh, uh, you know that there's a that there's a force behind all of this. Uh, it's some people that want to keep it. Uh, uh, you know, you want to divide us like that among race, economics, right? Because then they can do whatever it is that they want to do. You know, and and I'm sure it has a global component to it. So I'm just saying that there's a lot more uh, going on than just uh, you know some bad some bad economic policies. I'm saying, but that the, oh, and those policies. Are, 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 are supporting some other stuff. Absolutely. You know, everybody don't want. Yeah. Everybody don't want what me and you talking about. Well, let me tell you something. Um, uh, I'm I'm convinced. It's it's like a it's like a trial. If if this if a trial's fair or an election's fair, you can live with the result. If it's not fair, you won't have people investing in the system anymore. And the same way with economics. If we have, you know, a fair system, 
then our society will be middle class. It'll be stable. We'll make improvement. But if it's unfair, then we'll have lots of social problems. I mean, and, and, and you know, I see that down at the courthouse every day. And it's, it's that eighty-five percent. That eighty-five percent that you that, that that you that you reference. Those 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 people right there. Those are the ones that's getting the, the the treatment that we've been getting, and 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 so and it's new to them, but it's not new to us. Well, I I, I understand what what you're saying. I mean, I get it, and um, um, I think the economic component, whatever the cause of it, is a big component in all the things we're talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we've come to an end. I tell you what, I I appreciate all of the information that we've gotten uh, from you tonight, attorney. I wish you well. I want you to to end by giving us uh, that little two-second stump speech (laughs) and then tell us how we can reach out and find you and assist in in getting you where you need to be, all of those. We have a, a large number of listeners uh, all across Texas on this Monday night show. So uh, so you can find okay. by telling us the last minute what, what you want uh, to see happen and ask people for your vote. And, and that, that election time date, give us that, uh, that primary date that's coming up very soon, quickly. And it was a pleasure to have you on tonight. Go ahead. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, frankly, I didn't think we'd talk quite as long as we did. <laughs> And um, we have a uh, show, and you'd be surprised how fast it goes by. Go ahead. It does. And anyway, my website is LarrySC6.com, and um, I'm running for Texas Supreme Court. And frankly, uh, uh, I'd like to be on the Texas Supreme Court. I understand the nuts and bolts of trials. And I understand, I think, to a large extent, the struggles that middle-class people and working people and some poor people have going through our system because those have been my clients. And I think think that having worked and gone to law school, I – uh, I know what it is to work hard, and I know what it is not to have. Maybe not uh, as much as some folks, but I've had less than a lot of others. And so I'm I'm sensitive to the people who would come before me, and um, I would – the primary election is March 3rd, 2019. Okay. 2020, Twenty twenty, oh no! <laughs> March third, twenty twenty, because it's it's New Year's Eve. Oh, see, it's been a long interview. Um, but anyway, um, we're we're going around the state, and please don't be offended if I don't make your community because we're doing this. Okay, um, gentlemen, thank you.
Uh, Attorney, we got to end right there. Uh, thank you so much. Feel free to come back and be with us at any given time. We always welcome all Democratic candidates to come on. We welcome anybody to come on this show, as a matter of fact. Even if you have an opponent on the Republican side, we invite them to come. But I guarantee you they won't come. So thank you so very well, much. God bless you. <laughs> happy Happy New Year. And uh, keep up, keep going out there fighting for the greater good of all mankind. We appreciate it. And thank you so very much. All right. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. All right, sir. Have a great one. All right, Mr. Arthur. We look forward to seeing you all next time. All right. Bye now. See you, baby. See you later on. Happy happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. And now we're probably going to listen to our music. All right. Yes. I hope you have a great one. Don't eat too many black. I know eat a lot of them because they say that brings you great luck, right? Hey, uh, 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 Emancipation Proclamation, January 1, 1863. Okay, that's it. That's it. All right. Thank you so very much. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.